Consistent self-improvement, everybody. You are now listening to American Gypsy Podcast, and I am your host, Classic, and I am here with my co-host. Gypsy. And today we have Jesus Campa with us. Uh, he is the CEO and founder of Leading Through Adversity, LLC, and owner of AB Strategic Security Group, LLC. He has spent 27 years as a public servant in the law enforcement fields. He is also the author of Unmasking Leadership, and he is here talking to us about his new program, MYBB, which is short for Mind Your Business Baby. Eddie, it's great having you here. I mean, sorry. Hey, Susan, it's great having you here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to allow me to be on your platform. I appreciate that. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about, you know, as far as how you got involved into, you know, law enforcement and how it kind of rolled into what you do now. Yes. Yeah, so uh, it all started, you know, a long time ago. Um, I was born and raised uh, by my by my mom. She was a high school dropout, uh, single parent, actually raised by my grandmother. Mom usually worked two, three jobs to keep the roof over our head was kind of the black sheep of the, of the family, at least that's what everybody considered me. Um, you know, my aunts and uncles were all professionals, married, you know, they, the, 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 the traditional family. And yeah. I was the untraditional family. They, everybody was just saying that, you know, well, as long as Eddie can stay out of um, prison or a gang, we'll be happy, even if he's like the manager at McDonald's or something. And I was like, wow, thanks for the big vote of confidence, I guess, right? And it's like... <laughs> so, you know, I, uh, I just worked my way up and, and uh, I had an uncle uh, that I always kind of looked at. And he was kind of like the uncle that was like the father figure in my life. He, he was the only one that actually ever, him and his wife, my aunt, were kind of like the ones that were always, you know, very positive about me. And I kind of wanted to follow in his footsteps. And I ended up doing that and became a, a police officer and, and worked my way up through the ranks and ended up becoming a chief of police twice, a state director for an agency. And, uh, you know, it was just, um, it, it just, I just happened to fall into it and I proved everybody wrong. I started my job, it was kind of funny because I started with the sheriff's office. So when you start with the sheriff's office, you actually have to work inside a prison, inside the jail. So mm. I guess I technically proved them right. I did, I was in jail, <laughs> but working, not not the other way around. The, so, yeah, the, the better way. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, and uh, so yeah, 27 years later, I, uh, you know, I went through a lot. <laughs> I talked about uh, leading through adversity. I, I ended up having to learn how to lead through adversity. Um, I was the first Hispanic police chief in Marshall, Texas, the first uh, Hispanic state uh, minority state director in Oklahoma. And um, yeah, that was an adventure. I'll tell you that. Congrats on those accomplishments. What made you, you switch to what you're doing now, working more with business and leadership development? So I've always had an entrepreneurial mindset. I've always loved business. Uh, I've always loved the administrative side of things. So Basically, when I was the chief of police up in Marshall, Texas, I found myself on, a, on an island by myself, basically. I don't know if you're familiar with Marshall, Texas. It's a very racially divided part of Texas. You're not familiar uh, with played it. a very big, major role during the slavery, slave times, you know, um, in their, in their, in their um, town square. They used to sell slaves and punish slaves. And uh, I ended up becoming the first minority police chief there uh, as a Hispanic. And it was very racial. Like I said, you know, they used to refer to me as the Mexican who thought he was in charge. Or, um, mm -hmm. it, it was just it was just wild. It was crazy. And after three long years of being there, um, you know, having a fight with the. Com Let me rephrase that. The community was really accepting of what we were doing. It was just the old school 
guard, and, and I hate to say it, the old school white guard, that was still very much in charge, that was very against progressiveness and, and moving things forward. Understood. You know, after, after three years of, of fighting with them and, and hitting my head against the wall, I just basically decided to, I, I was looking out for help. I was like, man, who do I talk to? Who do I get advice from? Who do I get mentorship from? Because I, I can't figure this out. I don't know how to, I don't know how to beat this racism card here, you know? So I started this thing called leading through adversity, more of a blog, just so I could vent and, uh, you know, trying to you know, explaining what I was doing. And then somebody just started picking it up. And next thing you know, I started exchanging and, and the network kind of just started growing. I found out that I really wasn't out there by myself. I had some CEOs, some superintendents, other police chiefs that were kind of in the same boat as I was, but in different parts of the country. And that's how leading through adversity actually just got a, kind of got started. It was more of a cry for help for me just because I didn't know who to talk to about, you know, El Paso, Texas is a very, it's a very diverse community. I mean, we, we're, we're a makeup of everybody and everything. And there is, I mean, you know, for lack of better terms, there is no racism here in El Paso, you know? Um, and you go to this community and all of a sudden, you know, they're throwing the N word around like it, like it was for free, you know, calling me the spick who thinks he's in charge and all of this stuff. And you're just like, what the heck is going on here? I mean, it was a, it was a very big culture shock, you yeah. know? And uh, so, yeah. So when I, when I directed myself, it was just basically more of a cry for help and it spun off to what it is today. Now we're, uh, you know, we have about, we have about 200 members on Leading Through Adversity. Uh, we have about 27 paid uh, people that we mentor, that we coach uh, on dealing with issues just like this, on how to deal with diversity, equality, and equity, and inclusion, how to develop programs, how to, how to, you know, how to try to end racism and things like that. And, and that's basically what we do. So very happy about it. You know, in, in Marshall, um, when I was there, I was actually voted uh, the 2017 uh, Martin Luther King NAACP Humanitarian of the Year for the state of Texas. So that was really cool. Okay. Congrats on that as well. Thank you. So I know as far as it's very stressful in that type of situation, psychologically, and what are some of the, the things that you, besides, you know, going out to other um other people or looking out or, you know, looking to other people for help. What are some of the things that you were able to figure out on your own to allow you to adjust some new things that, you know, from experiences that you've learned with your, you know, with working in a diverse community and for someone that's probably going to be in your shoes sometime soon. What did you learn? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, one of the great, one of the great things I truly enjoyed about that time is I was in the best shape of my life during those three years because <laughs> I was so stressed and I, I, I didn't want to eat, I didn't want to do this. All I did was work out and, and try to get things ready. And I was just like, damn, I'm young. This is pretty tough. But the working out and the mindset, you know, was was good. And I guess kind of that's kind of where the, the the seed also started for mind your own business, baby. You know, mind your business, baby. Started. Yeah. Um, Kind of, you know, because, you know, you just had so many people always in your business. I mean, I had people creeping in my Instagram, my Facebook, everything and anything, you know, being followed. I mean, it was just it was crazy. It was it was a crazy three years. And I think that, you know, the fact that I had a very strong supporting network, my wife and my kids uh, was really helpful. My faith with God, you know, I um, 
<laughs> I, uh, I, I'm not a religious person. I'm a spiritual person. Understand. And, um, you know, and, uh, so I have a really great relationship with God and boy, it became even closer those three <laughs> years because I was just like, God, just please don't let me end up getting hung or crucified out here somewhere. Jesus, you know, <laughs> um, you want to talk about some backwoods place being, I mean, talk about that place. Just, the, the community I mean, I was imagine. great. Yeah. You know, the community, the people were, were great, but they were so under, you know, the African, the minority community was wonderful, but they were just overshadowed by that old guard that wouldn't let them move forward, you know? And it was just, it was rough, but uh, yeah, you know, the, the, the spirituality with God, uh, the family, the working out, the blog, and then just having a strong mindset, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I know those three years, everybody questioned my leadership ability and the leadership style. And you know what, it was kind of funny because when I left, uh, one of the, one of the old, one of the old guards there, he said, you know what, you, you surprised me, boy, um, you survived, you survived this long. We didn't, we, we didn't give you more than six months. Mm. And I was like, well, thanks for the boy part and thanks for the survival part. But, um, okay. Um, but it really changed my perspective, you know, and, and when I came back to El Paso, it, um, opened my eyes and it was something that I wanted to continue to, you know, move on with, you know, um, at AB strategic security group, we're an executive search firm. We're also a security guard firm, but we just, we've added a, a thing doing executive searches. And that's one of the biggest things is we, I, I refuse to work with any city entity or state entity or, or, at, or higher learning entity that does not support diversity, equality, uh, inclusion, and, and, uh, equity, you know? Um, so, yeah. So I guess, um, I know you mentioned a little bit about NYBBs. Tell us a little bit about that and what, um, what the program is about and how to help. Yeah. So, so once, you know, it was, it was kind of funny and this goes back to my time when we first, when I first joined the sheriff's office and as I started getting promoted, there was an individual that was running for sheriff and, um, he was going to be our next sheriff and he was the guy I was supporting. And every time one of our opponents did something, we went into this panic. So like the, the, this other candidate got this big bus and he, and, you know, it was, it was an old bus. And then he, he, he put these big billboards. So it looked like this big driving billboard. Right. And it said, vote for Yeti, Yeti, Yeti for sheriff. And I remember uh, my candidate comes running to me. He's like, Oh no, you're not going to believe this. He's got a bus. He's got this. And, and then we go into a panic. Oh, my God, he's got a bus. So now we're all rallying because now we got to get a bus. <laughs> and, 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 and we got to do something bigger. Well, let's get a semi. Let's do this. And before you knew it, we were so busy minding their business instead of minding our business that, you know, we started getting separated in, 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 in the polls. And it's like, well, wait a minute. We were up the polls when we were doing our thing. So let's just go back who cares what they're doing? Let's just worry about what we're doing. And sure enough, when we, when we shifted gears again, we won that election by a landslide, you know? Yeah. So when I went into business for myself, the good thing is that leading through adversity, well, nobody was doing what I was doing because I couldn't find anybody. So I just did my thing. And as I was doing my thing, I saw that it was working. And a few years down the line, I started seeing people, Oh, well, this is what we're doing. And this is what we're doing. Continue. And I was like, yeah. Oh, Let's keep you know, and I was like, you know, whatever. So I, I didn't do it. And we just kept doing our thing. And then, you know, I opened up AB strategic security group. And I remember my son would run up to me. He's all like security companies doing this, this other company's doing that. And then I'd go into a frenzy like, Oh my God, let's get new uniforms. Let's buy a new car. Let's do this. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. 
So I realized that the more time I spent minding other people's business, it really affected my business, you know, because not only was I doing two things, I was more worried about their business, not minding my business, my actual company and minding it and working it because I was too busy trying to compete with, you know, trying to see what they were doing. And then I was so busy on Instagram and creeping on everybody that now I wasn't minding my business, personal business, because I was busy creeping on them. So it's kind of a play on words, you know, you know, it's mind your business, baby. So it's not only mind your business as in minded. If you want to be successful, you have to work your business. Yeah. But at the same time, mind your business and stay out of everybody else's and do your thing because there's nobody else like you. And, and that's the only way you're going to succeed. So that's what mind your business, baby, is all about. And, uh, you know, we I'm an author. I, I wrote a book called Unmasking Leadership. And I was invited to um, I was invited to speak at a women's conference up in Houston uh, last year. And, uh, somebody said, asked me, you know, what's the, what's the secret to, you know, what, what's the secret? How do we move forward? How do we move our business forward? And, and what I meant was mind your business, not like mind your, mind your own business. I meant mind your business, like work it. And then I threw in the baby part and everybody just busted out laughing. And that became like the, the, the whole tone throughout the thing. They're like, mind your business, baby. But what I really meant was mind it. And then as I was speaking, I was like, hey, well, this kind of works two ways. Mind your business and mind your business. So we made some T-shirts and it just caught on. And, and that's the new speaking platform that I'm doing, going around, you know, speaking on how to grow your business and things like that is by minding your business twofold. Yeah, I think it's a, a very great analogy. And even just it makes yeah, the you. most sense. Because, you know, I definitely have found myself being distracted as a musician and kind of what's going on and feeling like uh, I should kind of try to keep up with certain things when it it led to a burnout. Not necessarily defeat, but, you know, it wasn't oh, original yeah. as, as the yeah, ideas I mean, you, you have your own, had. You have your own sound, your own style, and, you know, you hear somebody and it's working for somebody, you try to copy it and it's no longer you. And, you know, you're getting yourself out of your groove because you're busy sticking your nose where it don't belong instead of minding your business by doing your own style. And, you know, when yeah. you go back to doing your thing, that's when it works. Yeah, even on the marketing side, though, you know, is when you're trying to promote like a multimillion dollar industry, it's going to be a tough thing. So, well, yeah, well, you know, and that's the funny thing, you know. Um, so, so like I said, you know, at AB Strategic, we we. We, um, we do some different things. You know, we do security guards, we do alarms, and we do this executive search thing. And, and a lot of people, when I first did it, like, how are you going to market this? And I said, I don't know. I'll figure it out, you know. <laughs> and as I started thinking about it, I was like, well, you know, we're an executive search firm. We hire we hire new, new executives. Uh, the name of our group is America's Best Strategic Security Group. Well, it's everything with a strategy. So when you got to hire somebody, you're going to hire a CEO, you want to make sure that you that you hire the best person. So you're going to be very strategic about it. And you want to make sure that that individual is going to secure you. So everything was just a play on words, you know, and, and we started doing it. And, and before you knew it, it, it worked. And, you know, all of a sudden, the security guard company that's out there is now doing executive searches, looking for police chiefs and CFOs and CEOs and stuff like that. And it, and it just it's working, you know, but it was our own thing. Everyone's like, I remember the first time we, we got on a contract, they were like, does a security company know about executive searches? Well, everybody on our team has been an executive at one time or the other or a CEO. I mean, so that's what we know about it. 
So when you're doing um, <clears throat> working with companies or organizations with like leadership and inclusive um, environment, having inclusive environments, like what are the biggest problems in your opinion um, that you see a lot of businesses or organizations facing when it culture. comes to culture is the biggest issue we have is, you know, we're so ingrained and grown up with a culture something that it, it's learned when I, we're not born with it. It's, it's something that we learn, you know, and, and our culture, whether it's a business culture, whether it's the police culture, you know, um, there's things that are right about it and there's things that are wrong about it. And, and, you know, for like police officers, one of the biggest things that law enforcement hates is they hate the way things are and then they hate change. So everything just stays the same, you know, so you have to have an open mind and an adaptness to be able to to open up and critique and do things in a in a new way, and to use a very outdated uh, you know cliche is you got to think outside the box. You know you really do. You know, and a lot of the times when you think outside the box, you find yourself thinking in your own box, and you realize that everyone and their mother is going to call you crazy because that idea is never going to work because it's never been done. Well, if it's never been done, how do you know it's not going to work? You know, you got to find yourself saying, what if, what if it works? You know, what if it does work instead of what if it doesn't work? So if you say what if and you move forward. But the biggest thing is, 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 is changing that culture, whether it's business or, or, or you know, uh, professional or personal, it's changing the culture is the hardest thing. And like, you know, and everything else, when, when you try to change a culture and try to reeducate a culture, it, it's really hard. Uh, and it's it's nothing that comes overnight. So as we're working with our clients and we're trying to adapt new behaviors and new, and new uh, ideas and new concepts, while incorporating the mainframe of, of, of culture, you know, it, it, it's hard. And that's where we find the biggest issues is that people in general are just not willing to change. Me personally, I feel like over these past two years, um, we've kind of created a new culture. Um, and that's what is some insight on i know you're not with law enforcement anymore but if you were one of the police officers in los angeles or in one of the places where they're having the um at least you know having people to maybe get the um the stab how do you how what advice or even if you can you visualize yourself back then in the situ in that situation and maybe do you see the diversity there that was created even within you could say the, the law enforcement field yeah well absolutely i mean you know even though i'm not actively involved in law enforcement like for instance you know we're conducting the golden valley minnesota police chief search right now my agency is is tasked with finding their new police chief so so we're very we're still actively involved not on the law enforcement side of it but on the recruiting side of it mm -hmm. And that was the thing, you know, is, is, is that people aren't willing to change. They don't want to change their mindset. So, you know, back in 2014, when I was creating programs like the No Colors, No Labels program, the NCNL, which was something I created in Marshall, you know, was basically not, not that we didn't see colors, but, you know, why do you got to refer to me as, as, the, as the Mexican who thinks he's in charge? Why don't you just say about Jesus Campa, the guy who thinks he's in charge? Or you know why refer to why to refer to somebody as as the black athlete or 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 or, or so and so. I mean we all have names, so why don't you just stop with the labels and, and the color issue and just call me by who I am and what I do and who I am, and, and let's move forward. 
And that was in that community, the community accepted it, but the police officers didn't. They hated it, you know, because in turn, they thought that they were being called racist, you know, which I mean, I guess if the shoe fits, you might as well wear it, right? Um, you know, and then, you know, we went out and one of the biggest things that's failing right now in law enforcement is the fact that there is a lack of communication. You know, when you have new leaders that come in, they fail to communicate their goals and their perspective. And this is why you're seeing the the current lifespan of a police chief is two years now. You know, you hire a police chief, you'll be lucky mm-hmm. if he stays two years before he's either fired, demoted, or quits. You know, because there is, everybody has their own vision or interpretation of equity and equality. Everybody has their own uh, definition of what's right and what's wrong without going back to the basics of what is actually right and what is actually wrong. And, and you're right, we have created a new culture basically because we had to, uh, we had to survive, you know, we had to create a new culture. And, um, you know, it, it, without getting political here, you know, you've got the, the, the woke movement, you've got all these other movements that are out there. And everybody has their own, you know, er, you know, everybody has their own idea of what's right and what's wrong, but we're failing to look at the big picture. You know, we're all gonna have to live in this planet we're all going to have to get along. We're all going to have to survive. Resources are scarce. How do we come together as one? You know, and that doesn't mean come together as one and we all have to be the same. It just means how do we come back together to make sure that the, the, the survivability of the human race is intact for the next 100, 150 years without us killing each other? Because that's basically what we're doing. We're not killing each other as human beings. You know, we're killing the environment. We're killing our water sources. We're, we, everywhere we turn around, everything's messed up. It's like, you know, uh, well, you know, people like to blame, you know, for like instance, in law enforcement, people like to blame the police. Well, the police, all they do is enforce the broken laws that were created by the justice system. So that means the justice system was broken. Well, who created the justice system? Well, the founding fathers. Well, the founding fathers created the the the, the Declaration of Independence based on old school beliefs and things that are no longer applicable to today's world. So do we have to basically, for lack of better words, we literally have to implode everything and rebuild it all new for today's environment. And you can't find people that are willing to do that because why? Well, it takes a lot of work and then it also requires a certain group of individuals to give up power. And sorry, that was my rant for the day. (laughs) (laughs) Good. (laughs) So um, earlier you were talking about nobody was doing what you were doing in terms of the leading through adversity work. Um, For people out there that are uh, a pioneer in whatever they're doing, um, do you have any advice on, I guess, what kept you going and how do you keep going even though like no one understands what you're doing because you're a pioneer? So what do you have for that? Yeah, so the, the biggest secret there is always always move in silence, work, and be successful and don't let anybody know what you're doing because the minute you let somebody know what you're doing, they're going to try to take you out or convince you that it's wrong because it's a great idea and they're, they're going to try out and go do it. Uh, the other thing is know your why. Why are you doing this? I mean, are you simply doing it because there's money involved? Are you doing it? Why? What's the reason? You know, there, there's an old saying that if you chase money, money's not going to come to you. you. You know, you you work hard and money is attracted to you. So you got to know your why. I mean, I knew why I did things and I knew why I've become successful because I was so busy always trying to prove people wrong. You know, I mean, everybody, uh, everybody said I couldn't do this. I wasn't going to do that, you know, because your mom's uneducated, you're poor, you grew up on the wrong side of the tracks. You don't have a father figure. You didn't have this, you didn't have that. And the end, at the end, 
you know, I worked so hard and was so busy trying to prove everybody wrong that I forgot to enjoy life. Um, and now that I've actually accomplished all this, you know, I mean, in, in May, I'll be graduating with a PhD in criminal justice uh, and public service leadership. I'll be the highest, uh, I'll, be, I'll be the first doctor in the family. I'll be the highest educated person. I've reached the, the, the highest level of, of, of my career path. I've been a chief of police. I've been a state, a state director. I own two very successful companies. I'm married, have a house. Have, I mean, I, you know, but I knew why I was doing it. What was the end goal? The end goal was to show you that I could do it. And, and that was the fuel. And at some point when I was done, when I finally realized that it didn't matter what else I did, you were still, but you, you had already made up your mind about me. So I wasn't going to change it. And then I kind of shifted gears and started doing things just because I like to do them. Um, you know, I like to work. I like to, to open businesses. I like to help people succeed and stuff like that. It was funny because that's when I actually you know, started finding myself making more money and things like that, you know? So that was, that was, the, and that was good. As, I was going to say as far as for other officers or even just the stress, of course, you know, I'm sure for someone standing up um, for things like, what you're staying up for, it becomes maybe stressful if you feel alone or a little bit of de depressing. Is like suicide something that is kind of high among in the police force or, or is that a, oh, yeah. cause yeah, I, I yeah. don't, I don't, I haven't did any research in it, but since yeah. I have you here, I decided no. to, I guess to go ahead and ask. No, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the things that was funny because, you know, I started law enforcement in 1994. And we did things a lot different in 1994 than we do today in 2022. You know, for instance, I was involved in a lot of critical incidents, you know, uh, moving, you know, responding to, you know, the most tragic and the most tragic to me because it haunts me, you know, is uh, two, day, two, three days after my son was born, uh, I went back to work and I responded to an accident and the accident involved a DWI driver hit rear ended a van. Out of that van, the, a, a three-year-old baby flew out the windshield mm. and died. It was killed instantly. Um, so when I get there, you know, and I'm making sure, you know, what's going on, what's going on, I, I see this thing about 100 yards away. I go over to turn it around, and it's a three-day-old child. I had just had my child, and mm. I was like, that, that could have been my kid. Like, what if my kid had been on the road with my family and this happened? I mean... So it's always playing in your back in the back of your mind. You know, I, I walked up to to a subject that was suicidal because his girlfriend dumped him at the age of 18. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, I went into the into the house and I, I see him with a shotgun in his mouth. And I said, hey, I said, hey, bro, let me talk to you. And he blows his brains out. And I'm like, oh, OK, but back then, you know, I, like after those things happened, somebody would just walk up to you, usually your sergeant and say, you all right. Yeah, get, get back to work. Okay. So you'd go back to work, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and after, you know, 27 years, you know, of all these bottled up issues, you know, you see, you know, so those are things that happened to me and then moving up the ranks, you know, you, you, you know, you're responsible for terminating people because of their behavior. Well, it's not your fault, but you know, you were forced to terminate them. So that's just, just it, it just adds on. So nowadays, the good thing is that, because of 21st century policing, one of the pillars of that model requires that law enforcement officers get treated for critical incident responses. So now we have, you know, psychological help, you know, a lot of agencies, especially a lot of the larger ones now have psychiatrists on staff 
for when incidents like that happen, they're able to speak to somebody. You know, we, we work long hours. A lot of officers work 12 hour shifts, 10 hour shifts, and then they work a lot of, you know, off duty events and stuff. So they're constantly at work. So we have a high divorce rate. We have, you know, we have a high drinking rate, yaddy, yaddy, yaddy. And, and, and when you're a cop, whether you're a male or a female police officer, what are you always told? You're a cop, you're Superman, you're a superhero, toughen up, man up, do this, do that. So it's really hard for cops to kind of break down and and talk about things, you know, and sometimes that pressure gets to you. And yeah, it's suicide. It's suicide for the last about 10 years was very, very high, very, very high. We're starting to finally see a decrease in it, uh, a slight decrease because now there is help for these critical incidents. But, you know, I mean, the last two years, actually the last four years, you know, dealing with all the issues we had to deal with, with a certain president and then COVID and all sorts of stuff that just turned our, you know, really rocked, rocked our worlds upside down again. You know, we, we took, we almost took like 20 giant steps backwards. But yeah, to answer your question, yeah, it's a big thing. It's a real thing. And, you know, being scrutinized as much as law enforcement is lately and has been, and, and not without good reason. Uh, but, you know, not all of us are bad guys, you know. What do you do personally to de-stress? Well, like I said, I like to work out. I don't work out as much as I used to, but I still like to work out. You know, I really, you know, I, I love working. That, that, you know, it's funny because people stress out with work. I thrive with work, you know, you know, seeing the, yeah. seeing the new contracts coming in. One of the biggest things for me was that, you know, during COVID, when, when COVID first hit, you know, I'm responsible. I have a hundred. I have a staff of over 110 individuals on my staff. I'm responsible for putting food on their table. I'm responsible, and a lot of that requires contracts. So, we were very lucky that our business grew by 100 percent during the last two years. Um, so we were able. You know, now the hard thing is we can't find anybody to work because nobody wants to work anymore. Um, but but it was great because even when we were struggling, we were able to provide and make sure that all of our employees and that was what kept me going that was while most people were stressing i was thriving on it you know nailing new contracts doing this you know but i love to work out i love to eat uh eating is my distressor uh, <laughs> but it's funny though because i love to eat but then i stress out because i'm gaining weight so yeah. um, <laughs> you know but put a steak in front of me or a hamburger and i'll be i'll be the happiest guy you've ever met up until about three hours later when i can't move um <laughs> But, you know, just just don't take yourself so serious. That's the other thing is, you know, I spent I spent a long time, like I said, trying to prove other people wrong and trying to prove their things that I forgot to enjoy life. Now, you know, it, it's funny because, like, I have people that always tell me, like, hey, man, don't you miss don't you miss being the chief? Don't you miss doing this? I said, hey, man, I wake up when I want to wake up. I go to the office if I want to go to the office. I work from home. I go vacations whenever the heck I want because I, I, I'm the boss. It's me. It's mine, you know. Um, and there's no greater freedom than being able to not have to work nine to five. I mean, you know, uh, uh, while I do work more than nine to five hours, you know, usually a lot of the times my day does, I don't start my day till like two, 2 PM if I don't have any meetings, but then I also work till about 2 AM, you know, just that's, that's when I thrive. That's, those are my golden hours for me. Have you traveled often to many places? I have. I mean, I've traveled. I think there's only three states I haven't visited. Uh, well, well, I mean, internationally. States. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, well yeah. Uh, let me see. I've gone to Mexico, gone to Honduras, uh, Jamaica, uh, Paris, uh, Dubai. I was in Dubai in 2018. 
uh, speaking. Uh, so yeah, I've gotten I've gotten the and all because of work, not because you know uh, I was enjoying free time. But yeah, it was all fun. So I do a lot of international speaking, uh, a lot of it on Zoom lately. Uh, the last couple of years. So yeah, I just got into vacationing not too long ago. So I would you know advise you to. Take a vacation well, you know, as well. <laughs> it was funny because, like I said before, I really didn't enjoy vacationing. Uh, I still don't just because, you know, I mean, it, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. It, it's fun. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just I don't thinking know. about work all the time. Yeah, I got work. I got, you know, I'm actually more stressed out in vacation because I don't have control of what's going on yeah. as opposed to relaxing, you know. Yeah. And you feel and like you got to catch up when you get back. Yeah. You know, then, you know, you, you put your phone down, you're, you're missing emails, you're missing. You know, we, we, we got mad at my wife about a couple of years, several years ago when, when we lost a major contract because we were, we were in Cancun, Mexico vacationing. And uh, I got a phone call from somebody that needed some work done and they needed it now. And it was a major, major contract. Well, I didn't see the phone call until two days later. And um, and the email, and by the time I was able to call back, they had given it to somebody else, and I was like, this, "It wasn't meant to be." <laughs> and you're right; it wasn't. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't meant to be. There's it wasn't, but it was a, a it was a major contract. It was a major contract that if we had gotten it right now, I'd you probably I'd like, be on I'd vacation. Like this, yeah, I'd like to say this: I'd be vacationing via my private jet if I had nailed that one. Oh, you know? yes, wow, yeah. that one hurt. That one really. <laughs> Dude, you're stressing me out, man. So that's why you don't like vacations. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah that, you're that stressing me out. Now I need a Big Mac. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, I, I never experienced that. <laughs> and like you said, it wasn't meant to be. And on the flip side, you know, maybe yeah. if I have I, if I had nailed it, I would have gotten the airplane and then I would have died a year after that. I don't know. There you go. Well, it's always still, I guess, you know, in between. I've street performed in downtown LA successfully. So I can see or understand how some things is like, okay, I, I get it now. I get why <laughs> things worked out this way versus this way. So now I'm here doing podcasts and I enjoy it. <laughs> right, it's fun. It's, yeah. it's a blast. I love podcasting. It's, it's, it's a blast. I'll tell you what, though, you know, we, we, we started our Leading Through Adversity podcast and I was the one running it and stuff. And I just, you know, editing and all of this great stuff, you know, when podcasting had just started, well, not just started, but. You know, um, for it started for me. Twenty twenty was like to, the second, second wave. Yeah. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was trying to do it all myself and stuff, and I was just like, "Oh my god, this is too much work." It was, it was fun work, but I wasn't seeing any residual income coming out of it. You know, so <laughs> I was just like, I was having fun that I wasn't paying attention to work. And I was like, "Okay, I can't do this." <laughs> <laughs> but podcasting is a blast, and you know, if and when I finally decide to hang it up, that's, you know, I don't know what it'll be called you know, in 10 or 15 years, but that's exactly what I plan on doing is just yeah, going live and talking to people. I enjoy being educated by people, you know, and that's what I love about it the most. And it's kind of the most valuable thing that I get from it. So, you know, the money part, it'll, it'll be there when it comes, but right now it's just the consistency and, and enjoying the conversation and learning from people from all over the world. Absolutely. I get you. I get you. So what what triggered like the first step from going from nine to five to being an entrepreneur? Like what gave you the courage or was there like a I've had it moment or, you know, what triggered the first step, I guess? 
Well, like I said, I, I you know I remember I grew up poor. I mean, you know, I remember having a dirt floor in my house for the first six years of, of life. Um, I remember, you know, and I didn't know I was poor till I started growing up and having friends and stuff. And we didn't have a car, and you know, everybody was talking about going to McDonald's, and I'm like, What's, I mean, why would you go to McDonald's when you can eat a bean burrito at home? Like, it didn't make sense to me, you know. <laughs> And so as I started learning these things, I had a great imagination and I would always imagine myself being rich and successful and owning a business or, you know, you'd see a TV program and you're like, I wonder what it'd be like to be like that guy or that person. And, you know, so it was always there. And then I always had great ideas. And I think the triggering moment was in high school. I was a sophomore in a government economic class. And our economic project was to develop your own business, you know, a successful business and you had to figure out the marketing and, 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 and the logistics and, and all of this stuff. And that was, you know, it was a year, it was the whole school year program. And I came up with this, you know, idea of, of we got, I had several team members and we created our own little board and we had to do all this, you know, like if we were actually going to do it. And it became a supermarket and, 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 it, and, and, it, and it was called Homegrown. And it was all all U.S. products. Everything was going to be American made, you know, going with American farmers, and U.S. And, and just just everything made in the U.S., you know. And we created the marketing scheme and then we were going to have, you know, part of it was going to be, you know, like like it was going to be for the import items, you know, like you know, the Mexican uh, candy and all this crazy stuff. And we came up with this great plan and I just enjoyed it so much. I really got into it and then I was like, wow, I could do this, you know. Then I started working, you know, I started working at Walmart and worked my way up to department manager and, and, and seeing that, that you know, my best sellers and this. And, and those were the moments where that entrepreneurial line kicked in. But I never had money. <laughs> you know, it takes money to open a business. It takes money to, you know. I, you know, I can't say what Donald Trump, you know, said and said, you know, I, I got a small loan from my father for a million dollars, you know, for $10 million and moved on. Yeah. You know, I, I, I didn't even know who my father was, you know, so I couldn't do that. Um, so it, it wasn't until, um, you know, I joined up, joined the, the, the sheriff's office and started making money. And it wasn't really an entrepreneurial, but it was, you know, I, st I started leading a lot of executive, I mean, a lot of, uh, side jobs, you know, private security, private uh, guarding jobs, you know, like you'll see the police officers working in the grocery store, the football games. Yeah. I started being tasked with those. So it was kind of like, it was kind of like, like my own little company, but it really wasn't. I was just managing it and how much is it going to cost? And, and it just started from there, from high school to there till eventually, you know, um, I had a friend who, you know, bless his soul. He decided we were going to start a chicken wing restaurant called Code Three Wings. I said, bro, I don't have any money. How he's I don't worry about it. I wanna I'm gonna fund it all, you just work it. And um, so he funded it and I worked it. Um, and you know, it was a successful thing for three years. But try being a police officer and running a chicken wing restaurant. That was that was a bear. So we ended up selling So that was my first actual entrepreneurial job. You know, I mean nice. shot at it. And, and just from there, I mean, it just continued to go on. It's just, just the love of business, you know, and, and making things work. And finally, when I had a little bit of money and, you know, I I had uh, 20 years of service, what are you going to do, fire me? I'll just retire. I mean, you, know. Um, you know, I had saved up some money and and it was just time to do your thing. And, you know, thank God, you know, I've got, I've got a retirement that I fall back on. You know, I got a pension that I can fall back on if things aren't working out. 
but luckily God has blessed us with uh, with great success, and we look forward to continuing growing throughout the, you know the rest of the years. But I hope I answered your question. I know it went from one little thing to a whole. <laughs> no, no, yeah, I mean like I said, that's what triggered it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's not always a short story. <laughs> yeah. That's an awesome. Yeah. But we're at about yeah close to almost about forty minutes. Not sure how long you wanted. That's up to you. This is your show. I am just simply the tool that is helping you tie up a, a spot. <laughs> oh, we appreciate that. Um, I how, guess. Be- I guess I was going to ask. Um, how often do you? Um, as far as are you dealing with any type of educational programs, like dealing with schools or anything? Yeah. So, so leading through adversity, you know, we 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 do. Um, we're, we're mostly centered to the to the to the private sector, you know, because we do a lot of CEOs and stuff like that. My wife's an educator, uh, so for a lack of better words, she kind of drags me into some into things sometimes. Like, hey, we need a public speaker. We need this. We need that. Yada yada yada. You know, uh, two of my, again, two of our, of our clients are actually school superintendents. So you know, they'll usually bring bring myself in as the CEO to talk to like their DECA group or or, or things like that. Um, you know, we would love nothing more than to be able to help the young leaders of America, you know, and, and teach them the fundamentals uh, of how to run and operate a business. But you know what? Um, that's another system that's broken is our education field. I mean, we're not teaching our children life skills. I mean, you know, for instance, my children don't even know how to cursive, how to write cursive. You know, the other day I, uh, I asked my son, I said, bring me the checkbook. And he's like, the what? so he's running around the house and and he's 16 years old and he comes back he's like what's a checkbook (laughs) so i go to i go and i grab him he's like what is that it's a check what do you do with it and so i I had to explain the whole problem i'm like you know and and you're right i mean who writes checks right i mean it's all debit (laughs) or or, or bitcoin now or whatever so, you know, we got to teach, we got to go back to teaching some of these fundamentals that our education, especially a lot of the life skills, you know, that our yeah. children are, are growing up not having, you know, but, yeah. you know, I think we're, we're getting ready to go into a, a, a new universe called the Metroverse, which we're going to all live in the metaverse. metaverse, the Metaverse, that thing. <laughs> yeah. just like, so you, you're telling me I got to put some goggles on and, and just pretend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. It's involved with real money. So it's like, yeah, I'll, and it's involved with real money. So, so I pretend and I make real money. Uh, I want to yeah. cash in on that. How, how do I... I try not to think too hard on it. It's just, uh, yeah, you, are, you know what? I have enough I have enough of a problem living in the real world. So, so I'm trying to, trying to live in a, in a pretend world that's still going to make me finance it. I don't know about that yet. You know? Yeah. It's definitely a complete different conversation or topic on things that I can definitely go. Yeah. Into. Well, you know, I'm still waiting for somebody to explain, you know, um, NFTs to me because I just don't get that either. It's, we have a conversation. Uh, is it tonight? Uh, later tonight yeah. with a, with a really? expert on that. So we'll be. Uh, well, I'm going to have to watch that show. Send me a send, Make sure you email me that we'll link do. so I can see that. And it's funny that we actually covered on the 
um, another podcast with Mercedes about the curse of handwriting, them taking it out of school. I know it's weird <laughs> that another person mentioned it. I'm like, right. wow, it is an issue. Know about cursing. Well, well, you know, you know it, it's funny because again, back to my 16 year old son, we go, he gets his driver's license and they say, please sign. And um, he's like, he, I'm like, what are you doing? I said, they said, sign. What do you mean sign? I signed. No, you print it. That's not your signature. Said, What's my signature? Like curse? Like I don't know how to do that. I'm like, oh. and, and then the the, D, the 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 DPS clerk's like, no, it's okay. We that we accept that. We. <laughs> I'm like, what, do you, what do you mean you don't know how to sign? So the good thing about my yeah. son is he's a, he's a he he came back to me a couple of days later. He goes, look, I learned. He went to YouTube and actually practiced and learned how to sign his name. So he he knows how to sign his name that's about the only thing he knows how to do but he knows how to do it in Korea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the signature man yes yeah, it's, it's yeah. oh times are changing it, it has you think- know it's just it's just weird you know again my oldest son who's 23 years old when i was down in marshall we went to an antique store and he found a rotary phone at the antique store and he's just <laughs> looking at it and he's 23 and he's like I said, what's wrong? Like, what is this thing? (laughs) It's a phone. He's like, I said, he he picks it up and he's like, you used to carry this? I'm like, no, son, it was tied into your wall. And he's like, huh? How do you dial? Like, I said, so I I was trying to show him how to. Um, and you guys, he goes, you guys are weird. I'm like, we're weird. <laughs> Said you guys are you weird. You found the original right. one. That's yeah. that's the first phone I had learned nah. how to use. You takes me straight to my grandmother's house. It was actually a time where I searched online for a lot of, you know, for that for a rotary phone. I'm like, I want the one that actually because they had the one you type the numbers in, and I'm like, no, 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 I want the one that turns. It's just for nostalgic reasons. <laughs> right, right. You know, for the love of God, he he could not comprehend. Like, why does it have to go all the way like this? Why can't I just touch it? Because it's not a touch. Like, I'm sure now it probably could be used for therapy. So right, right. <laughs> kind of like the spinners. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna try yeah. that. We should definitely find one and just see if, like, yeah. the poppers. Because right. the kids use poppers now, and you wonder, like, poppers. It's like poppets. that's a oh, poppets. Called poppets. Yeah, the poppets. And it's well, kind of well, it's supposed to be like bubble wrap that pops. Oh, like the book that's yeah, yeah. But the, it's now it's she, public. I mean, I mean not public. All plastic. kids love mm-hmm. it nowadays, but yeah. it Rubber. seems like a stress ball that kids yes. it's not a kid's toy. That seems like a stress reliever. Is there yeah. something wrong with all of these kids? <laughs> so so you know, I wrote I, I wrote a book last year and I authored it and and my daughter who's 13 she's helping me ship the books right and so you know i got the supplies to ship the book and it was bubble wrap you know so i would put it in well bubble wrap's expensive you know so 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 she i come in and she's all (laughs) this is fun dad i'm like no she's like i can be poppy that's supposed to protect the book and she's just like it's funner to pop it, Dad. Did it? Oh my God. Wow. And yeah. now they have poppets. <laughs> wow, crazy. Yeah, they just. No, like, 
I guess. But you know, yeah. So interesting. <laughs> yeah. But we're gonna go ahead and I guess close it out. Um, before we wrap up, uh, let them know where they can find you. Um, let them know about your book and anything else. Yeah, so you can find us different ways. You can find us at leadingthroughadversity.com. It's all spelled out, leadingthroughadversity.com. You can find us at jesusericampa.com. If you want to find out more about me and my crazy life um, and everything that we've done, you know, I, um, I'm really excited. We have, a, we have an animated series that we're working on based on uh, my time in Marshall. It's called I Am El Jefe. Um, <laughs> The reason I brought up NFTs is because we're also minting our own NFTs for, for nice. the animated series. Uh, it, it is. I just don't understand what the hell we're doing because, I mean, I have a staff that does that. I'm just like, okay. <laughs> uh, it's like, okay. How much is it going to cost? No, we're going to make money. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, so you can go to jesusedicampa.com. Uh, you can go to leadingthroughadversity.com. You can go to iamilhepe.com. There's a one ep the first episode is on on there, you know, uh, as a, as an introduction to who what it is. Uh, my book is called Unmasking Leadership: What They Don't Tell You. It's a different look at leadership. Um, you know, when I was being groomed to become a leader, uh, nobody told me about all the heartaches and issues and how many fake friends I was going to have because there was things that I could do for them uh and all that good stuff so it's it's a it's a nice look at that it's leading through adversity.com you can pick it up at jesusericampa.com you want to contact us you want to become a member of leading through adversity there's a contact us form there and i mean i think uh you know you could also send us smoke signals i'm sure we can decide for that but <laughs> that's, that's where we're at and yeah we always thank you. we always invite everyone back as far as you know later on catch up even definitely want to talk more with you about NFTs because I'm sure you're probably going to learn a little bit more about it over the next month. And then, yeah, yeah, I, 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 um, I found a picture. Well, anyway, that's a different story on a different platform um, about <laughs> NFTs. Um, when I, I didn't know what NFT stood for, I said, it, "Did it does it stand for this?" It was a little sexually oriented, so it was just kind of like, <laughs> like, like no, it's not what it stands for. I'm like. No. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I look forward to it, and it's been a uh, pleasure. Thank you again. You. Thank you again for having me on your show. Thank you, and I've learned a lot. Yeah, thank I've you. definitely learned a lot. And for the listeners, thank you for listening. As always, you can find us at americangypsy.com. Uh, there you find links to our merch uh, at luamli.com, as well as our YouTube channel. Subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have videos of all of these episodes. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. And I guess that's all. Consistent self-improvement to everybody. Thank you again. Jesus. Jesus. And no, thank you. Thank you, everybody, for listening.